Hi, and welcome to Respecting Health. I'm Rod Pihovsky. This is the first full episode of Respecting Health, where we'll discuss societal values, our institutions, the environment, and how all these different things affect health. And while planning this series, I thought a really good place to start would be to talk about how our values affect society and how we get those values and what impact they have on how we approach the complexity of life. My guest for this episode is Carlos Torelli, professor of marketing, head of the Department of Business Administration, and Anthony J. Petullo, professor of business administration at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. His areas of expertise include global branding, uh, cross-cultural consumer behavior, self-regulation, and persuasion. And in his work, he's looking to identify key cultural factors that drive behavior in a globalized economy and to uncover the underlying socio-cognitive processes for such culturally driven behaviors. So I asked Dr. Torelli about how we can draw a line between societal values and health. And that includes, again, the health of institutions, the environment, economies, and people, and more. One of the things about culture is that culture is one of the most basic drivers of people's behaviors. And, of course, it drives people's behaviors in in every domain. Uh, there are some domains in which it might be more obvious and apparent how culture drives our behavior. In others, it might be more subtle. But fundamentally, societies have developed cultures to cope with the challenges of coordinating and surviving. Um, you know, we go back from, you know, ancient times, you know, in the Iron Age, etc., when we were fighting predators. Well, the, the, the idea was how do we develop as group uh, some passing along some knowledge that's going to help the next generation continue fighting the predators better than we did. Um, that's how cultures started to develop. And now, of course, we don't have, we're not fighting predators. We're just solving other types of problems. You know, we need to find jobs. We need to take care of our health. And we still use as human beings the different in the different societies we develop a set of norms beliefs and values that have been passed along because they've been successful uh, in guiding us to address the challenges in our environment so culture permeates pretty much everything that we do on a day-to-day basis um, but doesn't necessarily do it because we're constantly thinking about it it, it does it because it has created mental scripts has created implicit judgments and uh, automatic behaviors that moves us in directions that in the past have worked. And as long as the environment doesn't change dramatically, then it continues to work. That's why in many cases we become cognizant of something not working when we dramatically change the environment where we operate. And if we move to a completely different country, all of a sudden we're kind of lost because we're trying to do things based on the scripts, the behavioral scripts or the implicit judgments or the the values and the beliefs and, and they don't work. And then we're all of a sudden we realize, God, I'm out of I'm out of my context. I'm like a fish out of water. And how do I operate here? I need to start learning how to 
uh, behave in this place. And and nowadays it's 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 very sometimes striking because we can go from one country to another and look at the environment and the environment physically might look very similar. You know, if we go from a metropolitan city in the west to one in the east, they they are still identical. You go to Hong Kong and you feel like nothing is different to New York. But the norms of behavior uh, that people adopt there might be very different, although the physical environment might be similar. So then culture has this this very broad impact on, on all of our behavior. And when we think about health, it's not a domain that escapes from that. There is a, a, a pattern of behavior as related to health, or, or there are patterns of behavior as related to health that vary systematically from one culture to another. I also asked Dr. Torelli for some examples of how societies might approach the idea of health differently based on those values. And his answer actually kind of surprised me. He dug deeper into an even more fundamental question, that of how different cultures approach medicine. Well, a very high-level view uh, could be, for instance, how people think medicine works. What is medicine? which is something very fundamental. You know, what is a doctor? What does a doctor do? What, what medicine is? Uh, you know, if you think about uh, East Asian views of, of medicine uh, are very different historically to the views of medicine in the West. The notion of medicine and the holistic view to treating illnesses uh, is very well aligned with some patterns of thinking that are also nurtured in East Asian societies. But it's this idea that uh, the way to treat a disease is not necessarily by looking at a particular problem that it's in the location of the illness. Let's say you have, you know, a stomachache uh, and then, okay, let's look at the stomach. No, it might involve, you know, let's look at your spine. One difference between the East and the West in terms of the cultures is that Eastern cultures are what we refer to as people in Eastern cultures are more likely to think holistically or to think that the context and the object are intertwined and that anything that happens have repercussions somewhere else. You know, the idea that a butterfly can really create chaos in, around the world it's a very Eastern way of thinking. Right. Whereas in the West, we, are, we, we develop what is called a more analytic type of thinking. It's more based on rules, based on cause and effect, based on, uh, you know, A leads to B, then B leads to C, then A leads to C. Then under that thinking style, then when we try to treat an illness, what we're thinking is the root cause of the illness. What is it causing it? There has to be something in a molecule, in a cell or somewhere that's causing that. And that's, we, we try to look for the area that has the problem as the initial place. Uh, we don't necessarily easily think that that might be connected to a completely different organ. And it, it of course, it's, it's not, I'm not saying that Western medicine, it's worse than Eastern medicine or vice versa. It's just different approaches. What then leads a society to, to taking that holistic approach? What's different from one society to another? And what role do individuals play in building that societal viewpoint? 
culture is a very strong determinant of how we think about ourselves. And there are like two broad ways we can think about ourselves. One way is we can think about ourselves as independent entities, separate from others. Like I'm Carlos Torelli. There is no other Carlos Torelli, although my son is also called Carlos Torelli, but he has another name that separates him from me. But, but I'm this Carlos Torelli I'm talking about, and I'm just an individual human being. And for most people in the West, like, well, you know, is there any other way of thinking about yourself? Well, there is. You know, I could think about myself not in terms of me being a separate entity, but of me being connected with others. Like I could say, I am the son of you know, my parents. I am a son. I am, I'm also a husband. I'm also a father. So I might define myself that way. But what is interesting in this definition is that in this definition, I am defined not based on something independent. I'm defined based on something that connects me to others. I could also define myself as, you know, I am an American. Then I am by definition, saying that I am somebody who belongs to a broader group or a broader category. So this, this uh, very basic views of the self in psychology are referred to as an uh, independent view of the self. That's the first one, I'm Carlos Torelli, or an interdependent view of the self. And that interdependent view of the self typically can be subdivided into two subviews. One is an interdependent relational view of the self, meaning like I'm a father or I'm a son, is a relation with a specific other human being or human beings, or what is called a collective view of the self, which is I am a part of a large collective. So we all have these three views of the self. You know, at times we are independent selves, at times we are relational selves, and at times we are collective selves. We belong to a group. And we kind of move around those views of the self throughout our lives, throughout our days. In the morning, I might be an independent self. When I get to the office, I might be, you know, a relational self with my coworkers. And when I go later in the evening to a baseball game, I might be a collective self person. So this all fluctuates. Nonetheless, culture kind of shapes the extent to which we're more likely to constantly think either independently or interdependently. And, and that, that's kind of one of the most basic distinctions in, 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 in cross-cultural research is this notion between individualism, which is that tendency that people have in their cultures to think about themselves independently versus collectivism, which is the tendency that we have across situations to think about ourselves interdependently. So then, Starting from that, you start building certain desirable end states or values that we all kind of have. You know, we all have a variety of values. There are different frameworks to classify the different types of values that humans have. Uh, but they can be, again, divided broadly into categories of values. One category, which is desirable end states associated with my independent self, which is like uh, self-reliance or enjoying being by myself, enjoying the outdoors, enjoying, you know, exciting things. It's, it's that, that notion of I can do my own things and nobody dictates what I do. I'm free. I'm independent. 
that's a type of value that is very independent centered the other one is is based on achievements success you know how do i elevate myself how do i become proud of myself so th those are types of values that are more associated with an independent view of the self and then you have the type of values that are more interdependent in nature you know values of helping others being benevolent toward others being you know egalitarian in your treatment of others treating people fairly and then there are values that are related to protection of the group like being safe uh, not having social arguments or, or arguments that that deal with that that disrupt your social links with people you know the notion of being congenial the notion of being looking for harmony uh, you know those are desirable in states that are more associated with uh, the interdependent self so so then culture start by shaping yourselves which self you kind of are gonna be sampling from more during the day you know thinking more in this individualistic or collectivistic terms and then they're gonna start also to push you in what are the desirable end states for this self that you want, which is more of the self-reliance or achievement or status seeking, which is more of the individualistic aspect or more of the, you know, harmony seeking, safety for my group or myself and, or, you know, harmony with others or egalitarianism or social justice with others, helping others. That's more of the collectivistic. So, and then from there, everything kind of then, you, you use that in different contexts uh, and in different contexts, then you either bring your individualistic self and values or your collectivistic self and values. And, and then culture kind of shapes, again, what's the likelihood that, that these values are going to be brought to the fore. Uh, but it's not like culture is always super perfect predictor of what you do, because the situation sometimes throw you curveballs and then you have to respond depending on the situation. So that makes sense. And we see examples of that every day. We move fluidly uh, within and among all these various rules or views of ourselves um, or of society. We probably don't even really notice. So, so what then happens when individuals and societies experience an internal conflict between those roles, when there's a conflict between individualism and collectivism. That's what we human beings are, right? We're complex uh, uh, entities and uh, there, there is a variety of forces within us. And sometimes we work in one direction versus another. Uh, and we see that uh, in, in many different domains. And this idea that, that we have conflicting goals and sometimes my personal goals might be in conflict with my collective goals. It's kind of at the, at the heart of uh, how people behave in different cultures. And in individualistic cultures, it, 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 if you have your personal goals and you have goals for your independent self that are very important, and there are goals for the interdependent self that are important, but the two are in conflict, then in many times what happens is that the personal goals kind of overshadow the collective goals and then you pursue you know kind of the personal goals whereas in collectivistic cultures then they, they they are they are very 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 typical type of behaviors that when 
personal goals clash with collective goals, then sometimes collective goals are the ones that are going to overshadow the personal goals. You know, to give you an example in the context of, of health, uh, uh, in particular in the context of, of health prevention during COVID, uh, it, it was very, very obvious. And there are, there are papers that have been published. I published my colleagues a paper about that and others have published papers about that. Uh, the adoption of uh, collective practices to control the spread of COVID were more, uh, um, more likely to be embraced in collectivistic uh, countries versus individualistic countries. So the whole idea that you mask yourself up, why do you mask yourself up? is really not so much to protect you. Although later in the pandemic, there were some studies that showed that masking up also protected you a bit. Uh, but really the biggest protection is for others. Then the idea that you mask yourself up, not so much to protect you, but so much to protect others from you spreading the disease in case you have it. And one of the most effective techniques to control the spread of COVID was masking up and trying to stand apart from people, et cetera, social distancing. And you know, I don't have to talk too much about how that was viewed here in the state, but there was quite a bit of controversy around that. And people thought, well, you know, if I need to mask up, that's against my individual freedom. Again, if it doesn't help me masking up myself, and that's a nuisance, then why should I do it? Oh, because it clashes with my personal goal of being free to do what I please, being free to pursue my own, my own, you know, independent goals. Well, but if you mask up, you might protect others. That's what some research suggests, and there's very strong research pointing to that. Well, but my personal freedom is more important than protecting others. Then I don't wear a mask. Whereas in collectivistic societies, then Yes, masking up protects others, and that's what's the norm. That's what's the what the government is proposing. Then I should follow the norm, and I should protect others, although that's uncomfort. Uncom it's not comfortable for me to do that. And this idea of masking up during COVID, uh, it, it wasn't only during COVID. Anybody who's traveled to Japan, right? Yeah, it's always surprised to see twenty years ago, ten years ago, people masked up. And what would you think, what anybody think that goes to Japan and doesn't know why people do that would think, well, that person is really weird. He's so paranoid that's wearing a mask not to get sick. That's what a Westerner typically thinks. First time they go to Japan and see people, some weirdo masked up. Guess what? That person is not masked up to protect himself or herself. This person is masked up because it probably is sick and doesn't want to spread the germs to others. It's kind of an automatic thing that happens in, in, in many Asian cultures for people to do that. So it was very easy for them to get masked up uh, during COVID. Here in the States, very controversial. There were people that get, got killed by trying to enforce being masked up. We also talked briefly about technology and how Information nowadays flows all around the world almost in real time, and there's a thirst for information, but what effect is that having on us? What, what the new instantaneous flow of information is creating is, is that the status of 
institutions, persons, practices, uh, it can really change very quickly uh, based on, you know, what's in your feed and how you start being persuaded by things. If you are, you know, I'm, I don't pay too much attention to anything that gets into my feeds uh, because I know that probably half of it is, is just, is just garbage. It's just fake news. It's, 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 it's things that have been twisted, uh, but you know, not everybody is, is, is so many people are persuaded by, by this information. Now that we've discussed values and this individualist versus collectivist uh, approach, how does that then extend to our institutions and the way that we create them and the way that we manage and and value them? Well, you, you know, I think you, you, your, your last thought made me think a little bit about kind of looking, thinking again about, about healthcare and you know, taking kind of the very, very high level view of healthcare. And, and how, you know, cultures shape even how this high-level view of healthcare is developed. And if, if we think about, again, the United States, it's a more individualistic culture. It's, it's something in which the idea of the person and the individual is more important than the collective. Uh, it, it, the way our healthcare system works is very different to the way it works in, in some other uh, uh, more collectivistic societies or less individualistic ones in which they take more of a social approach uh, to things. Uh, you know, many of the Scandinavian countries or some European countries, which, although they're not as collectivistic as uh, the Asian countries, they, they are still less individualistic uh, and at least more less hierarchical than the United States. And we see that the, the, the healthcare systems in many of these countries is what we sometimes, when I say we, some people, some Americans, refer to it as socialized medicine. It's this idea that then, you know, healthcare is available to everybody, regardless of income, but the way that you make it available is not necessarily the most beneficial to any given individual. Because, of course, if you're providing healthcare to everybody, well, you know, how do you manage that to be efficient? Well, it cannot be that you get the healthcare that's perfect for you. You know, you, you might get wait times that are not the ones that are to your taste. You might not get the kind of rooms in, in a clinic that are the ones that are best for you. Uh, you might not have choice on many things, uh, but because the society has a less hierarchical view of the individual and a more social approach to things, have decided that that's how we're going to conduct the healthcare. In the States, a more individualistic and hierarchical society, that, that's considered for some people uh, blasphemy. Like what should be here is, you know, I should have all the options that I want. If I have the means, then of course I should have all the options. If I don't have the means, well, you know, what can you do? You don't have the means, but th that's, if I have the means, that's not my problem. That's somebody else. That's the problem of that dude who doesn't have the means. Uh, so then it, that more individualistic view leads, what it leads in a way is to a healthcare system that is more fragmented. That's more based on, you know, what are your affiliations? You know, if you're working in certain type of companies and certain type of things, then you get this access. Uh, you know, government, they're being, uh, uh, politically, there have been changes that have been introduced 
that being very controversial. I don't have to talk about, you know, Obamacare, how controversial it was or still is. Uh, but it's it's an example of how institutions are also shaped, how systems are shaped by culture, uh, and 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 that why you find resistance uh, to certain changes because they are in a in a certain way they're a little bit countercultural. Uh, so I think what I want to uh, just illustrate is that at the end you can you find the influence of culture everywhere. You find it in institutions. You find it in personal beliefs and values. You find it in objects that people have ascribed cultural meanings to. Uh, uh, but you only really see it when you think about it. Otherwise, it, it looks like it's just, well, that's how reality is. And we build a reality that's highly being influenced by the culture that's been uh, in. In, that we have encoded in our minds throughout our lives. So if we really want to change and create health, global health, uh, it's important to think about culture and, and our values if we, if we want to effect that change. And yeah, let's admit it, change is hard, but it isn't always about creating a new process or tweaking a regulation here and there either. Systemic change, if that's what we really want, involves addressing the underlying values that drive the creation of our goals and the decisions we make to achieve them. In the business world, we often hear about organizations that, that talk about becoming learning systems or uh, continuous management of change or continuous improvement, you know, evolving on the fly, that kind of thing. And that is really, really hard. And if you've ever worked in that kind of an environment, you'll often hear some variation of the saying that culture eats strategy for breakfast. So if changing processes and systems is, is hard enough... Changing culture is really hard. And culture, well, I, I sometimes think that culture eating strategy and just saying that kind of thing is almost an excuse to not do anything. Well, culture eats strategy for breakfast. You know what they say. True change, though, can occur if we look at the values driving us and if we honestly ask whether those values will get us to where we claim we want to be. I want to thank again my guest, Dr. Carlos Torelli, for sharing his knowledge and insights on this program. And if you have thoughts on the topic, you can leave a comment at our website, respectinghealth.com, or send an email to feedback at respectinghealth.com. I'm Rod Pahovsky. Thank you so much for joining us, for joining us on this journey here at Respecting Health.